Welcome to the next edition of the Career Conversations podcast, brought to you by Hunter Recruitment Group, and I'm your host, Craig McGregor. If you haven't visited our podcast before, what we do is we look at life through the employment lens. We get to hear great stories about why people choose the path they have and, and how they've gotten to the career arcs that they've enjoyed. Today, we have an excellent conversation with a, a really inspiring woman named Susie Miller. I sourced uh, Susie through through LinkedIn. I saw a program that she was running or about to run in Maitland, uh, doing a leadership mentoring program for, for women locally. And it just really resonated with me. And I thought, this is a, someone that I'd love to get on my podcast. Um, it's a great tale. It's an excellent story. One of the big takes that I, I get out of it, though, is is a quote that she gives, which is, you only need one person to believe in you, and that's you. And I think Susie's embodied that and created her own career path. So sit back and enjoy this career conversation with Susie Miller. Today's podcast is brought to you by Hunter Recruitment Group. People-centric recruiters, HRG looks to use technology and personal interviewing techniques to ensure the best fit possible for both the candidate and the employer. We operate labour hire and temp services for various sites, conduct permanent recruitment searches and have an innovative program we call temp to perm You can find us on the web www.hrgroup.com.au or search for us on your favourite social site, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn. Whether you're an employer looking for a fantastic new team member or you're an individual seeking their next great career move, Start a conversation with Hunter Recruitment Group today. So welcome to the Career Conversations podcast, Susie Miller. Thank you. Great to be here. Excellent. So let's yep, let's start from um, the start, oh, from now. Sometimes we go start to finish, but I love what you're doing and I want everyone to hear that at the start. So tell us about your business and, and what you're doing. Yeah, so I run a couple of different things. One is a leadership and executive coaching and development business, um, so that pays the bills. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and the other thing that takes up most of my time is the heart stuff, so that's um, the Opportunity Collective. We're running women's leadership mentoring programs in regional areas of Australia, trying to get more women in senior leadership positions. Okay. Um, How do you execute that? Well, so we move into different regions. So uh, we expanded from the Central Coast where we piloted the program into Newcastle. Um, We start to build great relationships with employers and the community, get to know what the needs are. And then uh, then five-month program kicks off. Uh, We pair up mentors with participants. They work together over the five months for six hours of one-on-one mentoring, Um, really working on what it is that the participants want to get from the program. So they'll select a goal um, that's unique to them and they'll work on that. And we've also built in some workshops where we target the areas that research has shown hold women back in their careers. Yeah, okay. So is it unique to the individual or unique to the business that they work for? Unique to the individual. So the person. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so people come to us for a whole range of different issues. Sometimes the employer taps them on the shoulder and says, you're in, congratulations. Um, Generally speaking, though, it's from people that hear about what we do and want a part of it. So, yeah, so they've already got an idea in mind as to what they'd like to work on. Yeah, and so that's where I piqued my interest to have a chat to you that I spotted this on LinkedIn and went, what a great 
program and, and contact you to have a chat and unfortunately um, one of the organisations that I sit on the board for have, have jumped in as well and so reaping the benefits from both a mentor and mentee perspective so it's great. Yeah it's really good and look it gives local organisations the opportunity to do something about diversity and inclusion. Often they have the right intentions and want to do something but either don't have the big budgets to be able to invest in an internal program um, certainly some of the corporates can do that but in regional areas it's tougher as well as you don't want to be sending your people to Sydney for, for education and development so we want to give local opportunities with quality professional development for women. So how many programs or regions have you achieved so far? Yeah, so three regions, uh, Central Coast, Newcastle, Maitland. You might say, some people say that, isn't that one region? Um, <laughs> but they're all unique. They all have their own personalities Absolutely. about them, um, as yeah, as you know with what you do. So uh, this we've got our Central Coast program starting in March. That will be our fourth program on the Central Coast. We've ran two in Newcastle. And last month, or actually earlier this month, we started a program here in Maitland. Yeah, okay, good. So what's the timeline on the program again? How long is it? Five months, yeah, months. five months. So, yeah, yeah. Okay, and so step me through. So you, um, do you, you call for mentors? So you, how do you source the mentors? We get inundated with mentors, great. I've got to say. that's It's a great part of the and program. And I've seen the photos. So as a, I, I just assumed it was all females mentoring, yeah. but it's not. Is that right? No, it's absolutely not. So yep. men are a great part of the solution. All of my mentors in my career have been men. Um, and initially when I was developing the program, that copped a bit of flack, I'll be honest, yeah, from, okay. from other women going, well, hang on, what do we need men for? I'm like, <laughs> duh, 50% of the population. Um, and, you know, th there's some great men out there doing some great things and they, they are a great part of the solution. So it's not an us and them. This is a, a human issue and um, and that's what we're tackling. So, yeah, we recently in the Newcastle program this year had Laurie McKenna yeah, involved awesome. uh, as one of our as one of our mentors. He's previously been on the podcast. Yeah, has he? Right, <laughs> yeah. okay, good. Good. That wasn't a deliberate name drop. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, this year we've got a gentleman from ARTC involved as well as um, a gentleman from Cole LSL in Newcastle that's coming out for our Maitland program. So it's really yeah, exciting. Great. So of our mentors to date, 10% of them have been men. I'd like to see that number increase. Okay. I think guys are a bit sort of standing on the outside yeah. going, oh, is this a bit bra burny or what's going to happen? Um, <laughs> it's certainly not that. So... so um, do the mentors get training as well? Yeah, or, yep. yeah. So that's one of the key things that we do is we train our mentors not only on mentoring, but we spend a good chunk of time on coaching. So we want our mentors to be coming at mentoring with a framework yeah, okay. and with a coaching framework so that it's not just advice giving. Um, there's a role for advice giving and it can be really helpful, but it can also build dependence. Mm. Uh, and what we're trying to do is empower women and build confidence in women to actually be able to continue beyond the end of the five-month program. So yeah, okay. Most okay. of our partnerships do stay in touch at the end of it, but it's not a requirement. So we don't want to kind of pull the rug out from underneath them after five months if they've been used to that kind of dependent relationship. So, mm. yeah, so the coaching helps with that. Yeah, okay. And then so so the mentors are getting coached and then how's the program structured? How does it what's what's the start? What's the, the yeah, middle? Yeah, yes. So end? so you start with mentor training and then we generally the, the the following day we kick it off with our participants. We bring them in. Um, at that point in terms of pairing people up, it's always a question that yeah, I get how asked. Do do that? How do I do yeah. that? So so our, our participants apply online and I learn a little bit about them either through their employer or from talking to them directly. Um, we're looking at really what is their motivation for wanting to be involved mm -hmm. and what do they want to get from being in the program and we also 
also ask them the, the tough question, uh, what do you want in a mentor? Um, which really helps us to be able to match them. So I get to know our mentors uh, through not only their applications, but I interview all of our mentors to make sure that it's a good fit for the program. Yeah, okay. Um, there's lots of people out there that say, yeah, yeah, I've done mentoring before, but mm. because we come at it with a structured outcome approach, it can be quite different than what they're used to. So it's got to be a good fit for everyone. Yeah, great. And we also do some psychometric testing. So we do a disbehavioural test where we're looking at, um, you know, building self-awareness is the primary reason but because I've got that information in front of me I have a look at that in terms of the pairing so so if I've got a participant for example that says I'm looking for a mentor that's not going to be fluffy with me and I'll be quite direct then obviously I'm going to look at a more dominant style mentor Mm. okay very good and so then is it uh, a a mixture of classroom and then do the mentors and mentees go off and yeah, absolutely. do a project yeah, or yeah. how does it work? So, well, so the, the mentoring happens one-on-one at mutually suitable times. Okay. Generally, we meet in coffee shops, good to give back to the local economies yep, that we operate in. And it also gets people out of the workplace where they can be a little bit more yeah, open yeah. perhaps. Um, yeah, so we have that element. The workshops are for half-day workshops. So we target things like personal branding, networking, um, knowing your value. It's one of the key things I think that holds women back in terms of their not only their careers but in Mm. terms of salary negotiation and promotions is knowing their value and being able to sell that Um, and so we we work through a model around that Mm. Um, and we do emotional intelligence work-life balance and career planning and at the end of that the final session which is the career planning we really want for the women to continue to push themselves forward beyond the end of the program so they leave with a career plan uh, yeah, as to what they're going to do. So it doesn't end after as much as the program ends, their development journey. We want them to continue to push themselves forward. So, And Excellent. then we have a community celebration at the end where anyone's welcome to come along and have a drink and have a chat and hear about the program. And it gives our participants the chance to practice what they've learned in terms cool. of networking You'll and build a profile. You'll have to tell me when Maitland's on. Yeah, I will do. I will do. I'm, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. I think it's <laughs> 8th of April, but we'll, I'll send you an invite. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. So, I love it. I love that you... I want to go back to when the two minutes into the conversation there when yeah. you said, this is what pays the bills, but then we've just spent the last 10 minutes talking about yeah. the passion bit. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, but like me, you can't spend your whole day doing things that don't earn you money or yeah. kids don't get fed and rent yes. or mortgage doesn't get paid. Yeah. Um, tell me about the paid job. Yeah, what's, yeah. What's your, what's your business? Yeah, so How my business work? is working with organisations, helping okay. them to build leadership, um, either in senior leaders or in their teams. Yep. So running workshops around key areas. Um, generally, the ones that I work on in the program are the ones that I tend to specialise in, so okay. around that branding, cool. networking, emotional intelligence, um, priority management sort of stuff, uh, and then leadership development one-on-one, working with executives, senior managers, um, right over the world. So I've got some Canadian clients, I've yeah, got right. clients all over the place. Uh, a lot of clients in Newcastle. How do you find the difference in culture between you know a Central Coast Gosford business versus a Canadian organisation? Yeah, look, I think some of the cultural differences are a lot less than you think that they yeah. would be. Um, I think they find our style quite refreshing and certainly from a coach perspective, um, you know, I think Aussies were a little bit more direct mm-hmm. and I think they like that. I think that creates some, you know, really good challenging conversations for them. So, yeah, yeah cool. I, I just enjoy the diversity. And technology today would be able to do that. Absolutely. That yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, step me through the why. Why are you in leadership 
training and development? Yeah, so my career prior to starting my own business was uh, with NABBank. So I worked for NABBank for 22 years and I always say, don't throw anything at me for that. <laughs> I think I've been saying that for years and I think it's getting worse, but anyway. So I, I left NAB in 2011 to set up Leadership Within, um, which is the, the paid business side of things. And for me, it was as a result of having had a coach myself throughout my time with NAB. So the last 10 years... So the NAB years, provided you with executive yeah, coach? Yeah. So every year we'd get given eight sessions. It was just okay. something that they did. And it was always, for me, every year I'd look forward to those eight sessions yep. uh, and made some big transformations in terms of my own leadership style and my own career through those sessions. Uh, in the latter part of it, I found myself more and more saying to my coach, hang on, just stop. I need to write that question down because I'm going to use it on my team. Yep. And I realised that that was actually where I wanted to go. Yeah, um, great. Yeah, I love leading people and it's something that I think I did quite naturally yeah, from was, a young age. So, As a re recruiter, it's not a, a skill that most people have. A lot of people believe they have it or want to have it because of the pay rise, Yeah. but it's a, it's an interesting skill, leadership of people, and most people will get into a role and then actually don't want it. Yeah. I don't want to be the leader, yeah. I just want to get the pay, yeah. and uh, the business suffers. Absolutely. Or we see, yeah. something that I see quite common in the work that we do with our customers is people get promoted because they're good at a job, a process as opposed a, to yeah. being a leader. So yeah. you know, if we used real estate as an example, uh, a great property manager might get promoted into a management position because they were an excellent property manager. Yeah. Uh, work as a leader and absolutely hate it and mm. yearn to go back to managing properties. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so it's yeah. uh, interesting that um, you had that yeah. burn, that passion, that want. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but interesting to – so how long were you in a – we might go through that a little bit later. Yeah. But how long were you in a leadership role at the NAB? Uh, Goodness, so 22, 22 years, years yeah. I reckon maybe 14, yeah, 15 right. years of that. So it was something that I identified really early that okay. I wanted to be involved in. Because my question was going to be, if you were um, really passionate about leadership, um, you're not really in a leadership role now in an executive sense within a large organisation, but you're coaching. Yes. Do you miss sitting around at an executive table and, and leading and then managing your team? Yeah, the, I don't miss the executive table, I've yep. got to say. Okay. I miss the, the leading the team yeah. bit. Um, so people are kind of like my solar panel, like it just energises me. Yep. And um, and that's always been the case. At one point I was leading 250 people yeah. and that was me probably at my best, you know, was just the more people you can put around me, the better. I work on my own in an office <laughs> and I'm much more productive than I ever was then because okay. uh, I can be highly social so that was a bit of a distraction for me but I managed to uh, get my people fixed through running the workshops and doing that kind of group stuff so that I do. So do you think you hunted that out because of that? Absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah. So that was one thing that I found really challenging at the start, particularly that a lot of my clients in those early days, there was no local clients. Mm -hmm. um, so it was all interstate overseas clients yeah, and right. that was really kind of a lonely experience to be honest. So I had to find my people fix elsewhere mm. and that, was, that tended to be on the social side of things that I invested heavily in a social life that I'd probably neglected, yeah, you know, okay. with all those years as a senior manager. So so I suppose that was able to fill that void. But for me now, uh, initially it was I missed being part of something bigger and now I've created my own something bigger. So we've got a tribe of 154 people that have, have been or are currently going through our programs. Uh, and so that for me 
I suppose, creates my own team. Yeah. I've got a board that I report to of okay. eight men and women uh, through the not-for-profit side of things and uh, and I've got a couple of team members, which is growing, so uh, which is exciting. Yeah. yeah, no, and that's the journey of a, a startup or a sole practitioner. I I remember a similar, similar journey that I, I was part of a, a management team and would uh, I thought I was an important person uh, within a, a, a business uh, to then sitting in an office by myself. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and being the, what's the, I, I use sometimes that, it might be a bit derogatory, but the master servant type yeah. um, thing where, you know, the NAB probably had consultants that you guys paid and, and they were wanting more business out of you and, yeah. and you were their customer yeah. and they would service you accordingly. Well, now it's been reversed. Absolutely. That you're now out there hunting, yeah. searching for customers and servicing them and it's a different dynamic when you're Absolutely. on the other side it of is. the, the yeah. ledger. Totally. So, yeah, yeah, it's a fun, fun, yeah. fun might, might be the word, but it's a process that everyone has to go through in terms of starting a business. So, for sure. And even yeah. on the branding side of things, when you're used to working for a large corporate, you've got their logo everywhere. Exactly, yeah. You sit behind that logo. Yep. Whereas day one, when you're in your own business, it's your logo. Yeah, it's it. all about you. And I yeah. suppose that's where some of my passion comes from around the branding side of things is yep. that in those early days, I really had to work out, well, yeah, who am I? What is it that I do do? What is the value that I offer? Um, and being confident with that. So, okay. Yeah. So tell me, tell me what's the value that you offer? Um, uh, you know, a, a, an organisation that says we're going to get uh, you in to do some leadership coaching. Yeah. So Step us through it. One of the key differentiators for me is that I've been there through massive yeah. amount of restructures. So NAB love to do a restructure every mm-hmm. now and again, like every couple of years. And so leading people through those transformational changes and, and understanding who are the people that I need to be spending time with and all the rest of it. I'm, I'm able to read people really, really well. So um, look, some of that actually comes from my childhood, which I think we'll get to. Not <laughs> quite on the couch, but... but uh, I went to 10 different schools in yeah, my wow. school life. So I was pretty good at being dropped into uh, my, my dad's work. was yeah. um, so, so he, he was, was actually in the bank as well. Okay. Um, but travelled around. Travelled around a lot. So and yeah. we, so we followed his career. And so for, yeah, 10, 10 schools over my school career, I got really good at being dropped in a situation and being able to read people and work out where I could fit within that and mm. um, how to make friends and how to network. And at the time I hated it. Yep. Um, however, you can do that to me now, drop me in a room of 500 people and I'll find my way. There's no one flicking my bra strap or trying to <laughs> slam my head in the locker door, um, but <laughs> which is refreshing, I've got to say. But yeah, that's, uh, that's one of the things that I think I bring is that I'm able to read people really well and when, yeah. whether it's that I'm working with an executive that's got some performance challenges or whether they're just bored or whether they're having trouble managing um, you know, their stakeholders, whether that's their board or, or the, um, the team or whatever, I'm able to go in and do that. So I think that real world practical skill that I bring and experience, um, and I can relate to a lot of my clients. You know, I, I yeah. hear them talk about their current challenges and I go, oh yeah, I remember that one. Um, you know, and I'm able to share just enough some of that experience, so. So what's the percentage of uh, organisations that engage you to coach, um, tell me what's the percentage around the individual saying, I need coaching versus 
senior management or board saying we need that individual coached? Yeah, so it's probably 50-50 to yeah, be okay. honest, yeah. Yep. Um, there's a different level of engagement obviously in both yeah. of those assignments. So the ones where I'm brought in to work with someone uh, from the organisation side of things, there's a little bit of that sort yeah, of testing time back. with people that I've got to work through. I can build relationships pretty quick, as I've said, so that uh, obviously I can put that put them at ease. But um, but that's a very different dynamic to people contacting and saying I want coaching yeah, and I'm going to talk you. to my boss about yeah. yeah. So uh, and look, people I think sometimes are confused by what it is. They yep. think, oh, you know, you're getting paid by the boss. Are you reporting back to the boss? Yeah, that's a good point, isn't it? Yeah. So one of the things that I learned to do really early on, in fact, in my first time as a coach, so um, in my last role with NAB, uh, I was the state business and executive coach for New South Wales ACT, working on running a high-performing program, which was, I suppose, a role that I designed myself, essentially, um, around wanting some flexibility. And and, and that was an, as an internal coach where I had the boss standing at the mm. door um, in George Street, Sydney, while I was having a coaching session and would say to me after, how did that go with that perspective <laughs> senior manager I had to learn really quickly to be able to manage that confidentiality because that's yep. critical for the success so yeah. yeah so I learned that as an internal coach where my boss I'd have to say to him you know you can't talk to me about that if we want this to work, if you want to work yeah. yeah so but of course organizations want return on investment as well so they want to know so I've, I've found a way that I'm able to balance the need of the individual and the confidentiality of the individual as well as being able to justify the return on investment to the organization yeah, okay. Have you had any programs or assignments where it's just been, this isn't going to work, this individual just doesn't want this, there's pushback, yeah. the board have said come in and, and help this individual and there's just been, yeah, has there been any, you know, we always love to talk about the, the success stories, but yeah, has there yeah. ever been any yeah. really bad ones? Look, I mean, there's been some that I've worked with that I don't think they've got the most from it yeah, because okay. of that mindset shift. So yep. I'll normally address that pretty quickly, like the elephant in the room and go, listen, I'm getting I'm getting yeah. the sense you don't want to be here. Yep. Let's not make this hard on either of us. You know, what do you want to get from this? You've got me for eight sessions. What is it that you want to do? So I'm generally able to turn that around. Okay. There's only ever been one client where I've been brought in from the organisation and I've said, I don't think I'm the best coach for them. Yeah, because exactly. let's face it, now there's coaches everywhere yeah, there is. and I'm not at all threatened by that. Yeah. I believe that there's the right coach for everyone and sometimes that's not me. So there's an organisation that I'm working with at the moment where I said to them, are you sure that I'm the best? And I've done a lot of work with them. Are you sure that I'm the best coach for this person? Mm. And they've replied, yeah, we do. We've thought it through we and we you. think you are. We want you. Then great, I'm in. Okay. Um, yeah, so so really it is, you know, it's one of those things that does happen, but um, rarely does it happen because yeah, I'm able okay. to ad adapt my style to be able to bring out the best in them, well, which is what you do in leadership. So. Yeah, let's go to the, the other side of the rainbow. Yeah. It's a great example. Give us give us that one that if you were sitting on your couch having a coffee going, that was awesome. I'm loving myself sick. Yeah. yeah. Tell <laughs> yeah, us about yeah. that program and, yeah. and how, 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 how it came to be. Yeah, so I think for me that there's an, a client that I worked in, in with in Sydney that were a bit sceptical to start with about mm -hmm. what, I was what value I was going to be able to bring and I ran an internal mentoring program for them. Um, I think initially it was a bit of a token kind of we need to do something. Yeah, okay. Let's throw some money at this, that'll do. Um, and just the outcomes from that were transformational in terms of the people that were involved in the program and what they went on to achieve. Uh, and that client then went on to invest more in diversity. So for me, that's a real win. 
Yep. Um, I mean, obviously, I do things outside of the diversity space, but but t- it tends to be now what I'm kind of getting known for, which is good. Okay. Um, I was going to ask that question. Yeah. The, um, the heart stuff. Yes. Mentoring the women's program. Yeah. Is that affecting your brand in the business side that people or businesses go, oh, we need someone to help us with our female executives. We're going to get Susie versus, oh, there's an opportunity here for another group of business. Oh, she's not the right person because she's, yeah. she's the woman whisperer. She does the, yeah, yeah, she does is, the has women's that, has stuff. Has that occurred? Or? Yeah, look, it's happening now more so yep. because the Opportunity Collective is getting more traction with okay. the work that we're doing and more marketing with the work we're doing. But I've got to say that most of my clients are men still. still men. Yep. Yeah, so but that might be a reflection of the glass ceiling. That yeah, absolutely, and the, and the numbers as yep. they are. So that that very well could be. Um, yep. I get equally good as outcomes out of men and women. Um, interesting. When I first started developing the Opportunity Collectives program, I went to some women net, women's networking events. And literally, um, I, I, there was one organ, one event that I went to where I went, right, I need to target all the women in the room. And there were some men there as well, which was great. And I did the, the laps of the room and then went, I just need to go and talk to the guys because this is exhausting. Yeah. Uh, because there was just a lot of judgment from other women yeah, okay. um, about what I was trying to do and, you know, a lot of looks up and down and a lot of hmm. what's your story, Um which did lead me to another social cause um, around women having supportive relationships with women because actually I think sometimes we self-sabotage each other, yeah, right. which is not productive. And, um, yeah, so so I suppose for me sometimes I find it easier to work with men. Yep. Um, but, yeah, it's a, it's a real mix from, yeah, who I work with. Yeah, okay. Mm. So let's go back to the start then. Yeah. So ten different schools. Yeah. So you're bouncing around... Yes. New South Wales or Australia or Austra- pretty well Australia. Australia. So yep. um, yeah, so I'm one of six kids, blended family, second eldest, uh, and yeah, we relocated to from Victoria. Originally, I grew up in Victoria. We relocated to South Australia uh, for a four year stint over there with my dad's work, and then back to Victoria and bounced around all over the place in Victoria. Landed ourselves on the Mornington Peninsula, so hour and a half outside of Melbourne. Um, Very similar demographic to the Hunter, you know, Central Coast kind of region in that a lot of people moving the big smoke to to come and have, make some lifestyle choices, but also some, you know, good stuff happening. Yeah, still commuting and all the rest. So very similar. Uh, yeah, so found myself there, um, finished high school, so uh, actually got asked to leave at the end of year 11. Uh, so that was, we're talking about career conversations. Yeah. So I went to see my careers advisor with no clue about what I wanted to do. Um, I, one day I wanted to be a mechanic, the next day I was going to be an interior designer, then I was going to be a plumber, then I was going to be a childcare worker. <laughs> so I was pretty all over the shop, but I knew I wanted to be something. I just really hadn't identified what that was. Well, don't, we've talked about this with other guests, but School doesn't set set people up for there's standardisation in terms of what a career is. Yeah, <laughs> there's so much out there that absolutely school doesn't know about. And, yeah. and you know, even myself in my career path, I, I would never have thought that I'd be doing what I'm doing now. In, yeah. when I was in year eleven or year yeah. twelve. Yeah, but um, yeah, once you leave school, your eyes are opened yeah. to opportunity if 
you want them to be. Yeah, so that's, I suppose for me, that moment of, uh, yeah, and I was told, you know, you are not going to be anything. You're wasting our time and yours. You should go. Now, I wasn't naughty. Uh, I want to make that point. Um, <laughs> I wasn't naughty. There's no kind of secret backstory of the things that I did. But I was just highly social. So um, high yeah. EQ, now I know it. Um, <laughs> but back then it was just, yeah, she's highly social and she's distracting everybody else. So she's wasting yeah, okay. our time and hers. Now so, look at how that's... Yeah. Yeah. So I sat on the end of my mum and dad's bed, not knowing what to do. Google didn't exist and, uh, and said, you know, I I just don't even know what I'm going to do. And my dad said, I was about to say, dad's in the bank. Dad said, well, he left, he'd left years earlier, but he said to me, join the bank. It's a good job for a girl. And, and I sat there and went, well, yeah, all right, I'll give that a go. And at the time I was thinking, you know what, I'm too extroverted to be working in a bank because you go into banks and it was all very quiet mm. and sterile and nobody talks and nobody's happy and it's, you know, really... Behind a barrier. Oh, yeah, totally. And, uh, yeah, so I thought, oh, okay. So I'd literally, I think I'd turned 17 two weeks before I started at NAB at the local branch. Yeah, wow. Walked in there and, um, yeah, I thought I was going to get to be a teller, which I thought, this is good, I'm talkative, I get to talk to people all day, hand out money, how bad can it be? And I was shown the dark, dingy proof machine operator's room, which doubled as the smoker's room because (laughs) um, smoking had been taken off the counters in those days. And so, and I was asthmatic, so that was just not a really a joyous place for me. So a few months in, though, I realised that it was somewhere that I could have a career and um, I went into the manager's office and... Step me through yeah. that. So, seventeen-year-old, yeah. highly sociable, yes, uh, in a dark, dingy room, but yeah, going, yeah, I could have a career here. Yeah, yeah. How? Be- I, I saw that I could have a career because I was looking around me at the various levels that existed within okay. that big organisation, and thought, you know what, I think I could move through those ranks. Yeah, see, I wouldn't think most 17-year-olds would think that way. Yeah, well, and I suppose that's the ambition that people Mm -hmm. didn't see in me, that I knew I wanted to be something but just didn't know what. So, um, yeah, so so I went and spoke to the boss and said, and, you know, it was very much sir and I had to, you know announce myself, introduce myself, knock on the door, the whole formalities that existed in those mm. days. And I said to him, you know, I I've, I've think this is somewhere I can have a career. So how long have you been there for? I'd only been there for a couple of months. Couple of months. And uh, I said, you know, what is it that you think I need to do to have a career around here? And he said, well, you can start by making me a coffee, girly. So I went and made him the coffee. May or may not have put morning fresh uh, <laughs> detergent in the coffee. Didn't get asked to make many more coffees after that, but I just realised pretty early on that I was going to have to navigate this myself Mm. and that nobody was going to do it for me. Um, And so in those days, you had to do two years in every role. And for me, there was still two jobs before I could be a teller. So that was going to be a four or five year stint before I could do that. And that was way too long. So I would get my job done, you know, first thing in the morning, get absolutely on top of things and then go and learn the job ahead of me or go and stand behind the tellers while they were serving people to learn what they were doing. Um, Then when I got to the point that I was a teller, I'd stand behind the people writing home loans and see what I needed to do. And look, it took me five years to get out of that branch. Mm -hmm. Um, I I did have a few promotions much more rapidly than anybody had done before. Um, but five what did, years. What did your teammates think about that? Was that? I'm guessing there probably was. I'm going to stereotype, but yeah. uh, there's probably individuals in there that didn't want promotion, so they were happy just to be a teller. Yeah. So they didn't mind you jumping ahead. But yeah. was there any angst around this Not young, energetic? Really. 
no, not really. To, to be honest, the ones that I, the, the angst that I felt was probably later on, and that was yeah, from okay. other women again. Yeah, wow. um, that were that had you know said you you I've done it the hard way. Why do you get it easy and all the rest of it? So. Um, yeah, so it was really interesting in those days. But the, the catalyst for me getting out of that branch after five years, I mean, I, I was looking like a life sentence, I've got to be honest. Uh, and I did have mentors throughout that time, bosses that would say to me when I'd be whinging about, when am I ever going to get out of here? They'd say, well, what are you going to do about that? Mm. So I, I kind of, I had great mentors that would call it how it was to so me. Th- and these weren't formal? No, these were absolutely not yeah. formal mentors, no. Just so, people you were watching, yeah, observing, absolutely. listening to. Yeah, hmm. and so the turning point for me was, uh, so so my area manager was someone that was wanting to keep me um, and wasn't wanting to let anybody know about the talent that, that was there. And yeah, okay. So he was kind of saying, oh, just be, just stay quiet for a bit longer and I'll, I'll give you this job and I'll give you that job. And he was keeping me under his wing and I... I had my first supervisory position only, you know, six years into that career. And that was groundbreaking at the time that I, there was a supervisor as young because I'd started yeah, so you young. Were yeah. And I was leading people that were, you know, in their 50s, some of them nearing retirement. But, um, but again, that adaptability and being able to be agile and approach people differently. So really here's paid a off. good question for the kids. Yeah. Yeah. So you had no formal training? No. No qualification. No. So I did work on that mm. over that, particularly the later half. So you've of been the made time. into so you're 23 year old supervisor. Yeah. Um, and just because of your ambition. Yeah, absolutely. My drive and my ambition yeah, was great. That, and that attitude is 100% what got me there. So I then realised that I did have some study gaps and invested in that side of things. Um, that was critical for NAB um, in terms of management appointments and the like. So, yeah. And the other turning point for me, I suppose. So I so I led teams. Of people and then I moved actually moved into the business banking side of things um, and then came out as one of the managers uh, in the branches um, and then from there same deal same area manager trying to keep me under his <laughs> wing uh, and I had a training course in head office one day and made the decision that I was going to go up and meet the state manager because I could see what was happening like it was a lovely compliment that he wanted to keep me yeah However, it was, I knew it was holding me back. And, um, yeah, so I went up the lift to the state manager's office, absolutely nervous, did not want to do it, but just had made the decision that I needed to do something and went in and just introduced myself. Um, and three months later, I was his second in charge um, and it just went, my career just took off from there. Flew, hey? Yeah, so at 27, I was the youngest female senior manager in NAB in that division at that time. Um, you know, that changed pretty rapidly afterwards, and which so was great. moved around as a kid, did NAB move you around? Yeah, so I then moved around quite a lot with yep. NAB. It's one of the things that in the, well, I'm not sure how it is now, but in those days, that was part of your commitment that you needed to show that you were committed to the organisation. And mm-hmm. so I, I moved them, I moved around a lot with NAB. So I, having had a childhood where I moved around mm. a lot, it was no different than in my adult life, but I still had stability as I did as, uh, as a kid growing up in that I had my family yep. uh, around me. And uh, my husband and I, he's been hanging around me for 28 years now. <laughs> so we, w- we were together when I was 19. So yep. as much as I was living out of boxes sometimes, I really had that stability mm. in terms of that relationship and he's my rock. And Yeah, and again, we've talked about it on other podcasts. Yeah. It's hard to envisage yourself being able to achieve what you've 
done with yeah. our partner like that. Yeah, absolutely. So. And he's uh, look, he's the one that I would say to look one more promotion and then that's it. Then I'm happy. <laughs> yeah. And he'd go, yeah, yeah right. Okay. I can see what's going to happen here and down the track. You know, he's right. Oh, there I go again. Um, and so he made a lot of sacrifices for me as well throughout that because he was following me all around the state. Yeah, um, which is a little bit of a in our time. A role reversal, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, totally, totally. And that, and again, another role reversal happened when I had my first child. You know, so I was going to ask you that. I was going to say, yeah, you're a, a women's mentor in leadership. Yes. it's a real tough component of a uh, of, of a family's career, but stereotypically more a mum. Yes, to have that. Yeah, for sure. Start to have children. How yeah. does that affect my career? Yeah. So when I had my daughter, uh, I'd managed my career and quite strategically had managed my profile within the company before going on maternity leave. I think too often we leave that to chance. We think that we'll be remembered, but the reality is the organisations move really quickly. Uh, And so I'd managed to kind of get my career to a point where I thought that I could take time out Mm -hmm. um, and that it was the time for us to start a family. Um, I had said to my boss before I left that I'll be back after six months and he said, no, you won't. You'll take the full 12 months. (laughs) And I said, no, look, I, you know, I really think six months. And he's going, no, you'll be taking the full 12. And I rang him, I think, after the third month and said, I'm coming back at six months. Um, and part of that was because I, I don't really think I took a break from the workforce. So literally, I was at that stage, I was leading teams of 250 people. And I had my team contacting me constantly. Uh, and and they were a part of my life as well. It was a blurred kind of work life situation. They were a big part of what I what I did. And um, yeah, so I found myself even a few months after having her sitting on email, breastfeeding, <laughs> um, catching up on what was happening at work. Uh, and for me, the mental stimulation was what I was missing. Yeah, okay. uh, I wasn't getting that in a mother's group um, as much as there were some people that I connected well with. I, they were just at a different stage of life and it, it just wasn't something that was enough for me. So, um, so work kind of fell in it. My husband at the time was not enjoying his role. So... Uh, so he was in the financial planning um, and was not enjoying that side of things. So he, um, we were talking one night over dinner and he's saying, oh, I hate work. And I'm like, I miss work. <laughs> and, um, you know, it just made sense that, that I went back to work at six months and he took over as stay-at-home dad for 18 months awesome. um, with my daughter. So, so my first day back at work um, from that leave, we were all called to a meeting in head office in Melbourne and told that a restructure <laughs> was happening and that we had the option of taking redundancies yeah, okay. or um, reapplying elsewhere. And uh, that was tough because at that point I'd already been with the company for a lot of years and it yeah, would have been a, a nice yep. looking, looking redundancy. Um, but we'd made the decision that we had that was best for our mm. family that I was going back to work. we just finished a renovation, literally just, it was a whole kind of second story renovation that we'd just finished. And I came home from that meeting and said to my husband, I think we need to look at other areas. Mm. The area that I was in was still... So I'd gone back to the Mornington Peninsula after spending some time in head office and I was leading people that I that had trained me yeah, as a right. teller all those years ago. I was having to fire people that, you know, I'd been to their houses for barbecues years earlier. 
Um, and it was getting harder and harder to do the tough side of my role as a senior leader. Because of the Because, because of, of the relationships, relationships yeah. yeah. And so, and another restructure was almost a, an eye roll of, oh, here we go again. I've already done this with this team. Um, so we made the decision to look elsewhere mm-hmm. and we looked at Darwin and we looked at the New South Wales Central Coast and Newcastle. Um, yep. My sister at the time was and is still living on the Central Coast and her daughter was nine months older than mine. So I knew that family support was going to be important wherever we went or yep. a level of support uh, with such a young baby and with me doing the work that I do. So the Central Coast, Newcastle market won. Um, some might not agree with that, but uh, yeah, so that's what brought us to this region. Uh, so we had a really interesting restructure where they divided the region of Newcastle in half. Okay. Um, it's so mind-blowing, but organisations do funny things sometimes. So they gave, they carved off Central Coast and half of Newcastle and then half of Newcastle and the Upper Hunter were all kind of bought into yeah, one okay. region. It was an, a really interesting decision. But a challenging one to manage, and that was my introduction to Mm. both of the regions. Um, Number one, I had relocated from Victoria, so and I was a Mexican. I was a total Mexican foreigner. And uh, and the second thing is when I met my Newcastle team, there was some resentment because I'd chosen to live on the Central Central Coast. Because why would you do that? Why would you? (laughs) I mean, look at Newcastle. It's amazing. So, uh, but I was not even aware, of course, as to how outstanding Newcastle was. And uh, yeah, so, and obviously it was about the family side of things with my sister being so Mm. close. So I spent a lot of time up and down the freeway running those areas for a long time. So, yeah. Yeah, so that's, I suppose that's my NAB career. The end of my NAB career came about after my second child. So I came back to work job sharing the role of a regional executive, which had never been done at all in Australia, um, looking after the Riverina. So Wagga Wagga, out to Griffith, uh, Tumut, that kind of region. you were doing that from the Central Coast? I was doing that from the Central Coast two days a week. And then once every five weeks, I'd go down and spend a week down there and then come back again. and yeah, then I then I had the other role of the um, business and executive coach for New South Wales ACT, developing a high-performing group, and that was all about them being able to retain me because mm-hmm. at that stage I was saying quite firmly, I'm working two days a week. I took the full twelve months off with my son um, because I was ready for that yep. at that stage and and ready to do the things that you know, that I, that I could do then with a three-year-old and a newborn baby. So yeah, okay. so I made up for some time there, I think, with my kids and had made the decision not to go back full-time. And that was frustrating for a lot of the executives, I've got okay. to be honest. Yep. Uh, you know, my, my development conversations, my performance conversations, any one-on-ones always ended with, so when are you going to get serious about your career and go full-time? Yeah. And I was saying, I am serious about my career, but I am not going full-time. So I'm happy. So do you happy. think this was a driver of starting your own? Absolutely it was. Yep. Yeah. Plus, you know, the passion of seeing coaching and seeing the benefits and, and just looking at the transformation that it had for me, I was like, that's that's what I want to do. Yep. Um, but I'm, I'm more about you can drive it now. Like, oh, you, you for know, sure. The, the NAB may, well, it's probably the wrong terminology, but the NAB's a, a security blanket of 
big organisation. Yeah. I'm going, I could be here forever. Yeah. Um, yeah, will they allow me to do it two days a week forever? Maybe, maybe not. Yeah, yeah. But at least if I go out there on my own, I can drive it. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I, NAB did – I left on great terms with NAB. Still yeah. got some good relationships. I've done a bit of work for them. Um, I learnt so much, was given so many opportunities through that time there. But it was time for both of us. And yeah. as opposed to some people when they're in that – ending 22 years, um, I was stoked. I had the business cards ordered, um, <laughs> you know, after th- that being decided that that was happening. I was just so looking forward to it. And that's really, that was also the turning point where I started to do more with community because yeah, uh, I think working so long for a large corporate, it takes away some of your soul. Um, and I needed to rebuild some of that. So, yeah, so when I finished my... How long had you been on the Central Coast for? I'd been on the Central Coast for about five years at yeah, that okay. stage, yeah. And so you didn't feel part of the community as much as you wanted to? Is that a part of driving that as well? It was more that I felt like I had value to add. So yeah. so the, when I found out that I was exiting NAB, I rang my sister and said, you know, this is what's happened, I'm out, yay, business card's ordered. And she goes, what are you going to do with yourself? And I said, what do you mean? And she said, you're going to go crazy. There's so much that you're going to be needing to do now in setting up a business. Mm. Yes, there's work, but you're going to go crazy without being around people. So I said, oh, I'm thinking I might do some volunteering. Um, And she said, what what do you want to do? And I said, oh, either something with women or something with youth. And she said, oh, you should do this program that my nephew's involved in. It's a mentoring program uh, and it's with young people um, working with Year 11 students, as it turned out, (laughs) helping them to work out what they want to do with their careers and life. And I just went, are you kidding me? (laughs) Thank you, universe. (laughs) We will grab that. So I rang them and said, hey, you know, I'm interested in being in this program. Um, But I think they'd already done one day of their coach mentor training and I said, you know, well, can I come in on the second because this is my background? And they were like, yes, get in here. And two months later, I was running the program. So (laughs) as happened. And I stayed there for six years running youth leadership programs with over 400 young people, Singleton um, and Central Coast. Yeah, great. Which was amazing. And that for me was if you think about where I am now, that was part of the catalyst for why I'm doing the work that I'm doing now. Yeah, okay. Very mm. good. So step me back. We've, we've gone through the arc. Yeah. I want to go back to the women's uh, collective program. Yeah. Um, where's next? Yeah. So next for us is new regions. So we're yeah. in Have talks. Have you got any targets? We're yeah. to- in talks at the moment with Geelong in Victoria. So okay. we're looking for regions that are high growth. Um, that have got the capacity to be able to sustain a program like that ours. We do need a minimum of 10 to 15 partnerships. So there needs to be enough business that are saying we want to invest. We're also looking at those high growth regions where um, there's an element of disadvantage. Um, I was going to say, is there, um, rather than regional geographical, is there... Uh, industry target as yeah, well, like there's, where there's a high volume of female leadership? Yeah, that, look, it's that's mixed um, yep. everywhere. We're looking at a number of factors, that being one of them, but but also we're looking at disadvantage. So our region, um, you know, Central Coast, Newcastle, Hunter, is one of the fastest growing Aboriginal populations in Australia right now and something that we should be really proud mm. of. And there's so many emerging leaders coming through that mm. I see that as an opportunity to really invest in those people and those communities. Mm. Um, and so that's one thing that we've done in our program is that we've applied for grant funding as a not-for-profit organisation where we okay. can have scholarship 
partnerships available for people who otherwise you know, may not have the opportunity to be involved in the program, whether that's because their employer can't fund it or they, you know, they just haven't got the capacity to do it themselves. So, so that's another really great part of our program in terms of the inclusion as well as the diversity that exists within the program. We've got this great melting pot. We've got mentors that are retirees, you know, down to women in their early 20s. Yeah, um, great. Yeah, it's a cool melting pot of society. Awesome. And so what about for Susie? Is there any other personal goals? Yeah, so for me, um, it's interesting. I, I did a talk a little while ago on the work-life balance side mm-hmm. of things, and I have an awesome work-life balance. It's a blurred line between my passions and my work and my hobbies, I'll, I'll admit. Yeah. Um, but really next for me is just doing more of what I do and being able to reach more and more. So my one-on-ones that I'm doing are getting cut back so that I can do more group yep. stuff. One it, it's absolutely about me being able to increase the reach uh, of who I can target and, and what I do. So, yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. So we, we have a time machine in yeah. our podcast. Yes. So we rewind the clock to 20-year-old yes. uh, Susie. We may, yeah. What about if we rewind it to yeah, year 11 Yeah, let's Susie. go back a bit <laughs> earlier than that because yeah. 20 I was pretty well. I knew yeah. what I was about. So year 11 Susie, if you could go back now knowing what you know, yeah. what advice would you give her? Yeah, I think my advice to her, I mean, I, I would have seen out year 12, I think. I would have just said, screw you, I'm doing it anyway. Okay. Um, I would have stuck to that. Uh, year 11, end of year 11 would be just saying you can do whatever you want to do. Um, you only need one person to believe in you and that's you. Mm. Um, nothing else actually, you know, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. It's actually about you being able to drive you. So do it for yourself. Good advice. Excellent. Mm. Well, thank you so much thank for coming you. on our podcast. Thanks for having me. Good luck with the program. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks. Thank you to today's special guest, Susie Miller, for coming on to our our podcast and telling us and sharing with us your career arc. It was such an inspirational story. If you'd like to learn more about Susie and her programs, uh, we'll have a link to her LinkedIn profile, as well as some of the websites that she's operating through her business connections at this present point. Once again, thanks to Susie. And if you've loved our podcast, please rate it on Apple uh, Podcasts on iTunes. Uh, You can listen to it now on Spotify and also through SoundCloud. It's always available direct on our website. Until next time, I'm your host, Craig McGregor.